Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the final Molyneux View podcast of the season with me, Jackie Oatley, and your overworked Wolves correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. So, Nuno Espirito Santo is no longer manager of Wolverhampton Wanderers. He leaves after three exceptional, overachieving years and one testing and tiresome one, which many, if not all, Wolves fans are thoroughly relieved to see the back of. As the club continues its new manager search, we'll debate the qualities required for the next phase. Joining us to reflect and project will be the former Wolves goalkeeper Matt Murray and Wolves TV commentator Mikey Burrows. The inside track on what's going on behind the scenes at Molyneux and elsewhere, now more than ever you need to be a subscriber to The Athletic for less than a pound a week for six months. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod and you can read all about it. How are you Tim? It's been a nice quiet few days for you. So when it all broke on Friday I I took a quick trip to the shops and stocked up on coffee and vodka knowing full well that for the next two weeks I'm going to be chained to my desk on the phone and on my laptop so I'm fine absolutely fine that's literally what you've done you've been to a match and apart from that you've been at your desk tapping away phoning people getting the inside track Friday was just crazy like as a journalist they're the days that you live for and I absolutely love them but this was different you know normally a manager gets sacked or a big signing comes in or something massive happens and you know what's happened you know why it's happened and it's just a case of speaking to as many people as you can to tell that story in detail but Friday come 5 p.m after three or four hours on the phone trying to figure out what the hell was going on I'll be honest I was none the wiser because reliable sources and places of information were directly contradicting each other as to what the hell has happened here it was difficult, and I think that's reflected in stories we've seen from very respected journalists who've, who have painted very different pictures of, of what's happened here. They know what they're talking about, and they've given very different pictures. And that's reflected in the confusion, trying to work out what on earth has transpired in this small circle of, of Chairman Jeff Shee and George Mendes and, and Nuno, which I think is why no one saw this coming, really. You know, there, there have been signs here and there in hindsight that you can say, but I think that's why a lot of this, or none of this, has come out in advance. And the and the appointment, took, the, the announcement took everybody by, by surprise, including myself. But once you start speaking to people as to why this has happened, it does start to become a little bit clearer. It was strange on the day as well, because the press conference was brought forward half an hour. I didn't really know why. And then he did the presser as normal, saying things we'd probably expect him to say. And then we finished for the day. And what did you do? Headed out for lunch or something? And yeah, Because did, yeah. usually, usually you sort of be aware of something like that. So Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. But so nobody... But, but for it, to be a surprise to you, Tim, is more surprising than for the rest of us. Because normally you'd expect to have some kind of inkling, right? I know it was a surprise and a bombshell to, to really senior people at the club, you know, late on Friday morning. Nobody saw this coming, certainly on the day. And I think even people involved in this decision and this announcement didn't know it was going to happen on Friday until until it unfolded in those final few hours. I mean, my spider sense was going bonkers because I had an interview lined up at Wolves that afternoon, which was cancelled with no reason given. So yeah, that press conference was incredible. Looking back, his poker face is unbelievable. He looked happy. He looked relaxed. He was talking about the future. It was a normal press conference. But yeah, in between that and the announcement an hour later is when he's told his players who who yeah, were equally as dumbstruck. But again, you speak to people who, who have links to the dressing room and, and they'll say, yes, it was a massive shock on the day. But actually, yeah, you could sort of see it coming a little bit. From what I understand, the owners were sort of growing frustrated around Christmas time, which, as people will remember, Jimenez got injured on November the 29th, 
After that, they won one in 11 to slip from 6th to 14th. And they were only nine ahead of relegation. They were heading in one direction. You know, I, th- I think we all thought they'd be OK, but they were heading in one direction. And that's when the owners have, have started to think, we cannot afford relegation. Fosun cannot afford relegation. doesn't matter who's in charge, who's playing. That's the one thing that cannot happen for this investment company. So they strongly considered, I understand, um, sacking him after the West Brom defeats, which everybody will remember, in January, a day that Nuno looked utterly clueless for the first time in his Wolves tenure and helpless more than anything. You know, we know he prowls that touchline for 90 minutes barking orders, but he sat in his chair for 20 minutes looking utterly helpless. I thought he was going to resign that day. I think I might have texted you at full time saying he might walk here. That's how it was. How... after it, remember, slumped in his chair, not offering anything anything that's how that's how it was just so unusual it it was um it was a it was sort of an apocalyptic defeat cody was subbed neves was subbed it was like what this is all falling apart um and yeah from what i understand that they were they were they were really they gave some serious consideration to letting him go that day but i think what they've thought is that um he's the best man to keep us up and it's no coincidence that the game after that he went back to 3-4-3 he got rid of the open expansive football and he made it attritional he made it defensive and that's when they started to gradually grind out the results they needed I mean we endured it all it was a chore to watch but they did get the results they needed to stay up and I think since then you know the the unique situation here at Wolves is that George Mendes is so closely linked to the club and to the ownership but he's George but he's um but he's Nuno's best mate and this was always going to come to a head. We've discussed it before. What on earth happens when Nuno leaves this club? Who does Mendes side with? You know, who does he tell information to? Is he, is he keeping secrets from, from, from the other side? And obviously, if Wolves are thinking of dispensing with Nuno's services, Nuno would have known about it, I'm sure. And he's obviously got an inkling, hence why he's changed his football, hence why George Mendes has been talking to other clubs in the past few months and putting out feelers as to where he might be able to get him a job this summer. And um, as for when the actual decision and parting of ways came, I mean, it seems like it was at the start of last week before Everton, where Jeff Shee and Nuno have had a meeting. Um, senior people at Wolves say that it was there, it was they who instigated it. But I think Nuno, knowing where things are going, knowing how the ownership were feeling about him, was also sort of content to say, "Look, okay, I'm going to get out here while my reputation is intact." Um, and that's where you come to mutual consent. And I think, do you know what? The, the, I think I think there's certainly an element of truth in that, in that um, Nuno's decided this is probably the best time to move on then as well. Um, and that's how they've come to that decision, which reflected in, this, in the in the highly unusual statement. You know, you get Spurs putting out one line saying they've sat Marino. This was a massive statement where Fosun are saying, thanks for your work, and Nuno's saying what an amazing time he's had. And um, I think that's reflected in the, in the mutual consent line that the, there are elements of truth to Fosun wanting to move on and Nuno saying this is a good time to get out. Yeah, whenever you see mutual consent, you do tend to go, well, why don't they just say sacked? He's taken us as far as he can go, blah, blah, blah. But in this situation, I mean, I was hearing from somebody I know in football who was saying that he'd been sacked, but then it does make complete sense that it was his decision as well that... The relationship, never mind just this season, what's the relationship been like anyway between Jeff Shee, the chairman, and Nuno? And how closely do they work together or do they stay as far apart as possible? They're very, very different people, as I'm sure people can tell just from interviews. They're very different people. Nuno's an extremely dominant personality. He's sort of very aggressive in his manager, in his manner. He's got an aura when he walks into a room. He'll shake everyone's hand when he walks into a room to greet them and show them who's boss. You know, Jeff Shee isn't like that. He's more of a methodical thinker. Um, and take sort of long-term pragmatic sort of views. Um, they're, they're very different people. And I think losing Kevin Thelwell can't be underestimated in that relationship obviously deteriorating to the point where, you know, they've they've both come to this mutual decision, if, if they want to put it that way, or, or if he's been sacked or if he's walked or whatever. The relationship's obviously had a deterioration. And I think Kevin Thelwell was the buffer between them and, and without him, they've certainly missed him. And I think a lot of people at the club w- would agree with that. Yet, I think if... Fosun and Jeff Shee had gone to Nuno and said, look, okay, difficult season, but we'll back you this summer. Here's your budget. You know, we believe in you to get this right. I think he would have stayed. 
he certainly didn't contradict mutual consent when I asked him about it on, on Sunday. There is going to be an extent now of people trying to protect their reputations that Nuno's now looking for work and he wants to keep his reputation as lofty as possible. Fosun want to look as decisive and in control of the situation as they can as well. They, they don't want it to be thought of that Nuno walked away from them. Have you changed your mind at all about whether it's time for Nuno to move on? Because, for example, there has been, I would say, a minority of Wolf supporters calling for Nuno to go. A minority, but but vocal minority as well. Over the last few months, it has been like watching paint dry at times. There have been lots and lots of negatives, it has to be said, despite the three previous years of overachieving. Some people have really, really had enough and felt that he couldn't take them any further. I mean, on reflection, do you think now is a good time for Nuno to go? On the face of it, I think he's, I still think he's done a good job this season. And I think uh, given all the circumstances at play, some of which are in his control, but a lot of which aren't, I would have liked to have seen next season with full houses, with Jimenez, with Neto, with a full team, with an enlarged squad, rectifying the problems that they've admitted that they've caused. But maybe Nuno thinks, am I going to get this club higher than seventh again? It's going to take a massive turnaround and effort to turn the ship around and get them challenging for top six next season. Maybe he thinks he's, he's done all he can as well. He's Europa League quarter final in seventh place. Maybe maybe we took it a bit for granted at the time, but that's a, a huge achievement. And maybe he thinks that it would take two or three years to hit, hit that top six. And I think from Foson's point of view, we know how utterly ruthless and emotionless they are in their decisions. Perhaps they're foreseeing a, a further decline you know, as you say, the football has been tough to watch. Recruitment's been an issue as well. Obviously, Samedo and Silva, 70 million last summer. Have either of them improved the first 11? Nuno isn't involved in, in sort of scouting or watching players, but he certainly is the one who makes the final call when players are put to him. And I know that he's um, he's gone against the advice of the recruitment team on a number of occasions to sort of side with Mendes. I mean, as, as we've talked about, in, injuries have decimated them and fatigue has been at an incredible level and the small squad philosophy which is his idea has fallen flat on its face albeit he was conceding a few weeks ago that that's something they look to rectify this summer I'd be slightly concerned in all this that Jeff Shee and Foson have looked at fan reaction online and given it too much credence I see everything on Twitter and I know that they look at it closely I know that they do and I just wonder you know with 200 or so probably very loud fans the sort of Nuno out after every goal conceded, Nuno out after every defeat. It's a small number of people from in my, in my judgment. And when you're at Molyneux on Sunday and you've got hundreds, if not thousands, lying in the streets on Waterloo Road, lighting flares, in tears, singing his name, people telling me it's like a bereavement. And then you're in the stadium and you've got, it felt like a lot more than four and a half thousand, but four and a half thousand singing his name from minute one to minute 90 you've got a lap of honour, you've got a guard of honour. Like I said, people in tears. There was universal love. It felt like he was retiring to me. It was so surreal that this man, that there's an element here that this guy's been sacked and just look at the love for him. And I just wonder if Jeff Shee was sitting there thinking that he may have misjudged fan opinion on this. And I know, as I said earlier, emotion doesn't come into it for them, but you've got to consider that whoever comes in next has got to live up to that and you know Nuno get in the city get in the fans and this relationship which I'm sure Jackie as uh, is the case for you as it is for me I've never seen anything like it before at Wolves the universal love you know Mick McCarthy was he had his detractors but Nuno pre-pandemic that moment is sort of frozen in time now those two and a half years when when fans and, and Nuno and Wolves were together they were never booed off the pitch there was no disgruntlement from the stands every 100% people were backing him then the pandemic hit and everything's changed since then but that moment in time when he and his public were together is sort of frozen forever now really it just puts huge pressure on this appointment and huge pressure on them to hit the ground running next season because we've seen how much fans loved and respected and trusted Nuno I wouldn't fancy following him. Do you know what I mean? There are such big shoes to fill. In terms of the decision, just say from the club's point of view, they decided to move on, even if Nuno agreed it was a good idea. Just say, take that angle for a second. What do you think Jeff She's making this decision on? You say he looks at Twitter. He looks at message boards as well. And who else does he have in his ear? Who else would he be talking that decision through with whose opinion you'd respect? 
I think they've put it down to a decline, a decline in league position. Not great football to watch. I think that's been a factor, style of play. I think that's something they'll look for in their, in their next appointment. And keen to wish, usher in a new cycle, I think, is how they're looking at it. And you can see an element of that. Nuno's been there four years. A lot of players have been there four years. Is it time to refresh and go again? Are they, you know, people say Mick McCarthy should have been sacked after that, after the Blackburn survival day. And obviously he wasn't and it dragged on and we know what happened next. So maybe they're looking ahead of time and thinking that now is a good time to end it and start again. But obviously that's reliant on getting the right man in next. And you've got to take into account the fact that the players love him. You know, I wrote in a piece the other day that there have been mutterings about, you know, sort of questioning him this season in terms of changing formation. But he by no means lost the dressing room. And we saw, you know, we saw staff, staff in tears on Sunday I'm sure players are very emotional I saw an interview with Connor Cody extremely emotional so the players are with him they're his tactics it's his style and his backroom team as well I've mentioned this a few times to people and written it in pieces you can't underestimate the value of that backroom team that comes with him and of course they've left as well Antonio Diaz introducing honestly world leading techniques in injury prevention and rehabilitation and then you've got Julio Figueroa a man so important to that backroom team that they don't like talking about him because he's their big secret. And he's introduced methods in terms of how to rest between matches. He does these kind of hypnotherapy sleep sessions at Compton Park in, in the afternoon and he's and he's played a crucial role in, in Adama Traore's progress away from the field. He's gone, Ian Cathro's gone, goalkeeping coach Rui Barbosa's gone. There's an awful lot of expertise that's that's left there with Nuno. And we know that new managers don't necessarily come as part of a team. So that's another aspect to what was already a big summer of rebuilding that, you know, these kind of six or seven people have left along with Nuno as well. Well, let's play in the last section now of Nuno's final press conference after the Manchester United game in which Tim asked him whether he'd achieved everything he wanted to achieve at Wolves. Definitely, yes. 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 Because uh, the achievement, the sports achievement is totally uh, under analysis. But uh, what we wanted to build, to achieve, and you can see that the togetherness uh, that exists, and this is the more important things. When you want to, to work um, with a group of players, first you have to create a really special bond among themselves um, with you, with the club, with the fans, with the city. And then comes the sports achievement. But the more important one, the love and the respect that we have for each other. The term mutual consent suggests it's a mutual decision. Is is that the case or would you have liked to have stayed longer? Tim, since uh, and you, I, I think you you are one of the, the first journalists that, that I met. I still remember the first interview in Compton. And uh, I think you didn't even know me. Um but um, we arrived, we arrived, and um, and we came from a club that says a lot to us as, as professionals uh, from Porto. But we arrived without knowing what what is gonna what we're gonna find, and we found this uh, a really cl- a club that um, since day one have have give us give us all the support. Um, there was only not only one decision that we didn't make together. There was always dialogue. There was always respect, and um, and this will stay forever. This will stay forever. And we know what the fans think of you and the memories you've created. Obviously, you've played and managed across Europe, but you've you found you found a home in this little town in the West Midlands. What what, what does it mean to you, the club and the city? It means a lot. It means a lot. It means a lot. It means a lot. Uh, it really means a lot. It really means a lot. Uh, <laughs> We, you 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 don't uh, you don't find out uh, that you're gonna fall in love for something until you really feel um, and you really feel when things don't go well you still have the passion um, because even if you are sad you are sad with passion and this is what uh, we have felt every time we didn't made it or we came short we felt this 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 sadness so this. Is is um, it's incredible. Cannot expect it, but uh, it will stay forever. It will stay forever with me, with the with the coaching staff, with my family. But what I'm doing is, is a place that I love. 
hard to say goodbye then. It's a, it's a see you soon. It's a see you soon. So you, Tim, asked the only question, actually, that was put to him about why he left. And it's clear that he didn't want to talk about that. But he was quite happy to wax lyrical about his time in Wolverhampton. And he won't be forgotten in a hurry due to what he achieved there. But just wanted to get from you, Tim, about what he was like to deal with, honestly, as a fellow human, as a manager correspondent. What was that relationship like? And what's your understanding of what he was like to work with yeah no he, he referenced me during the press conference which he's done from time to time I think I think he appreciates people that have been there since the beginning and yeah four years ago now when I first met him feels like a long time we both look a lot more than four years older uh since that point he's certainly been the most unique manager that I've worked with I mean you couldn't be more different to someone like Kenny Jacket and it was a shock when he came in in terms of how to deal with him I mean I've met him briefly at Compton back in 2017 and then a few days later we we all jetted off to Austria for pre-season and normally pre-season is the is the perfect opportunity to to get to know managers and players and new signings and and it's it's fill your boots time really especially in the championship because I was the only journalist there so you get free reign you know you're not guided by press officers organizing interviews at certain times you just you're around the squad so you think it's the perfect time to get to know him. And they played three games out there over 10 days. And um, he banned me and Nathan Judah, my colleague, from attending training, which was a, the first kind of sign that, okay, <laughs> this might not be uh, what we're used to. Because, you know, you've travelled all the way to Austria and you expect to be allowed in the training ground to watch them. And I'll go on to why in a minute. But, yeah, just to say, three games and I'll wander up to him after every game and any chance of an interview. And he's saying no. And this was so unusual, but it was the same with the club media. He wasn't interviewing Wolves either, didn't do an interview with Wolves either. So your primary emotion as a journalist is sheer panic because you've, you're at the start of a 46-game run over nine over nine months and you're thinking, right, this guy doesn't want to talk to the press. Um, and it came across as being quite rude, to be honest. In hindsight, this was just the start of him forming this siege mentality, which is a bit of a Mourinho trick. You know, he played under Mourinho at Porto of us against the world, siege mentality, we're going to have a very tight-knit group and no one else is allowed in. And I think that really helped generate the atmosphere and this fearless atmosphere in the squad. But if you weren't on the football staff and you weren't in that clique, then you were you were out, you were an outsider. And that goes for people who are employed by the club as well, by the way. Um, and he, he, he could be quite vile to people. And I'm not breaking confidence here because he said it himself in public. He said he's the worst person in the world when he's upset. And I've seen that. And believe me, I was on the receiving end a few times, but not half quite as bad as, as people who worked at the club, I'm sure. But then the next day, he'd, he'd hug you, he'd he'd give you that big beaming grin, um, and he'd be fine again, and he wouldn't really explain why in between. So it kind of illustrates to people... It's also how, very Mourinho, by the way. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of illustrates this sort of complex man. He's a very sort of sensitive guy, Um and like I said, he could be he could be quite aggressive, a very complex individual, a deep thinker, and shy, believe it or not. I mean, I remember he told me early on he didn't like seeing himself on TV. And he used to cringe when he got home after Porto matches and he'd turn the telly on and Porto's such a big deal. And he'd be on the telly and, and he hated it. And he was known, believe it or not, people will find it hard to believe, he was known for being emotionless at Porto. He's he stood um motionless on the touchline and he was thought to be cold and I think you know he's sort of been advised when he started at the club that Walters Enger and Paul Lambert were his two predecessors they both had similar records on the pitch but one was far more popular than the other and that was Walters Enger because he played to the crowd and they loved his passion on the touchline and he and he gave them the hero worship at, at Blues Away um so he was more popular and uh, and yet his record was probably worse so I think I think he took that and embraced that and then lo and behold you know the first time he saw his public at Molyneux he embraced them on the pitch he'd never done that before at Porto he never went on the pitch to applaud the fans but it's a small gestures that go a long way with supporters over here as we know so um I did chat to him a lot in those in those early days you know he'd always um he'd always nip out for his post-match cigarette after a game before doing his press um and it was easy to spot him in, in kind of small championship grounds loitering around the corners he kind of played the media game by not playing it, I think, in a way. 
you know, he didn't give anything away in press conferences. He talked about tough game, tough team. We will compete. We will improve. Fans liked that at first because he gave nothing away. But in that fourth year, they started to grate on them really because they wanted to hear more from him. And he did mellow in that fourth year and he did open up. And Jackie, I know you're, you're always in attendance on the uh, press conferences. He has spoken more this year. The pandemic has changed him as a person. That's led to this this incredible donation as part of his legacy, two hundred fifty thousand pounds to the city, which has gone, which has literally put food on tables for people who can't afford it. But yeah, like I said, a, a complex man. He he can make you feel ten feet tall, but then he he could really crush you as well at the same time. And I think it was the same with the players. We've heard from people in the past that fine line between respect and fear. He trod that line, and the players did respect him, but they knew that they could uh, they could get. Um, a massive shouting to from him as well. I saw him give you the odd one-word answer when you asked him questions in presses after something you'd written that he'd read that he didn't like, but you didn't know what it was, so you just had to crack on. Yeah, he was a little bit like that. Like I said, that comes back to what he said earlier. He could just he could just be aggressive and rude um, sometimes for no reason, and then the next day he'd be happy as Larry. Very intuitive, I'd say, and in touch with his emotions. And we know that from the way he speaks sometimes. But I remember him saying right at the start of the pandemic, this will change football and this will change society forever. And and both of those things happened at Wolves. And I think ultimately the pandemic has played a massive part in um, in what we've seen on the pitch over the past 15 months and led directly and indirectly to his exit. Yeah. I mean, just personally speaking, I haven't had a fraction of the dealings that you have with him. But when I have, he's always been extremely polite. First time I met him was at Reading away and I was walking up the stairs from the tunnel up to the press room and he um, he picked my backpack off my shoulders and lifted it up as if to say, that's too heavy for you. I'm going to help you carry it. Just just very lighthearted, but always very, very friendly. And, um, and when my kids met him as well, super friendly, would give his time. But, um, but yes, we know, because we know plenty of people um, who've worked with him, that he could be extremely intense as well. But I mean, we know about the positives and we have waxed lyrical about the phenomenal job he did, particularly in his first three years. But just in defence of the club for a moment if indeed they did want to move on, go in a different direction, saw something they didn't like from this last season. In their defence, they might have seen the fact that he really struggled to get players to attack as a cohesive unit this season. He talked incessantly about finding solutions, and yet week after week he wasn't finding solutions. And we've defended him plenty about the pandemic, about injuries and what have you. But from their point of view, they might look at it and say, well, that midfield was pretty dysfunctional this season. There wasn't much dynamism there. There were lots of things that didn't improve week on week. And perhaps a new manager coming in, new broom, new solutions, uh, new vocabulary, new everything, uh, with new backroom staff, of course, could transform the group of players that are here and with the benefit, hopefully, of a pre-season and some fresh additions, they could improve this squad of players. I don't get the impression that, that the players wanted him out. I think I think that there was a questioning no. of his of his tactics this season. But like I said, we all kind of look back now and look at what went wrong, but the club can't do that. They, they've got to look forward and they've got to use it as, as an opportunity to look forward. And, and people forget, I guess, how many players there are at Wolves. And we talk about small squad, but they've got 15 out on loan and a new manager may see things differently with Rafa Mir or Dion Sanderson or Conor Ronan. A lot of talented players out there and um, some of them may be far more suited to, to whoever the new manager's style is. So, they, you know, they have got good foundations here. They've got a great stadium. They've got a great training ground. They've got a lot of money. They've got a lot of great players. They've got an improving academy and under-23 setup. It's not all doom and gloom here. It's, it's not rip up what they've done and start again. You know, there is a foundation to, to, to launch from. Obviously, the head coach is going to be the most important man for that, and it's important they get the appointment right. But there's, there's still a lot of good at Wolves without Nuno. Just on Rafa Mir, Tim, I spoke to John Driscoll earlier, who's a football commentator, who's written a very good book called The 50, Football's Most Influential Players. Rafa Mir's not on that list, by the way, I should point out. But he also, um, he also hosts a really good weekly podcast on La Liga called La Liga Weekly, funnily enough, with Terry Gibson. And he's a really good listen. But... John was very positive about his ability to play English-style football and says that the bottom half of La Liga, the top flight in Spain, is much 
more sort of anglicised, if you like, than people think. It's it's not exactly Barcelona tiki taka football in their you know in the in the Pep Guardiola kind of days. And so I just wonder whether it could be that he does come back under a new manager and could actually be really really adequate if not better than adequate backup to Raul Jimenez. Bearing in mind, we don't know that Raul be ready to hit the ground running at the start of the season. Yeah, I, in, in, impossible to call at this moment in time, you know, until you know the identity of the new manager. And if he's playing one up front, then Jimenez and Fabio Silva are, are still there one and two, aren't they, at the moment? So the situation hasn't changed as far as he's concerned. But obviously, whoever comes in offers a, offers a clean slate to everybody. And like I said, they've got an awful lot of good players on their books, a lot of whom haven't been at Compton this season. So Rafamir couldn't have done any any more than he than he can. Foson will look at his value uh, and think it might be a great time to sell. But if not, yeah, let's let's get him back and see what he can do. And that's that's the case for a for a host of players that have been out on loan, that are in the twenty threes, that have been on the bench. It's going to be a really good opportunity and some of them will come in that that we don't expect to. And some favourites will drop out. That's just the nature of the beast. But yeah, Rafa Mir, he's had a great season. Uh, couldn't have done any more. And I'm sure he'll be given a, a chance to impress. Yeah, John Driscoll also said about how Barcelona fans are quite relieved to see the back of Nelson Semedo. Um, and how young Serginio Dest has come in, cost a lot less money from Ajax. Um, and that they were quite relieved to get that amount of money for him, £30 million plus. Um, especially after the 8-2 walloping by, by Munich in the Champions League, of course, which we know um, was the last time that Barcelona saw... Uh, Nelson Semedo, although he did have a good game at the weekend, and we'll hope to see a lot more of those underlapping runs next season, won't we? Yeah, I thought I thought he ended the season really well on a high. Him and Silva, um, you know, their price tags have taken a lot of attention this season, and, and rightly so because it was such a big chunk of last summer's budget. But um, but yeah, they ended the season pretty well. Both had good games. I was impressed with Semedo. Just to wrap up this section, Tim, there was one sour note when just ahead of kickoff, watching on BT Sport and seeing players taking a knee and some fans booing and whistling at the taking the knee and then presumably those fans going on to cheer their black manager for the rest of the game and at the end of the game a very awful incident of a fan being arrested for monkey chanting at Rio Ferdinand a black pundit again possibly somebody who has been cheering their black manager throughout I mean the club have handled it very well in reaction but I mean what are your thoughts on that? should have seen it coming really I, I didn't even think about it you know the booing of taking the knee but it's depressingly predictable and I think we've seen it at a few other clubs now fans have returned uh, I still didn't expect it at Molyneux um, especially given the way the day was you know the big farewell to Nuno I thought behaving like that would be at the back of people's minds really rather than yeah trying to boo players taking the knee it wasn't just like one or two. It was quite a few people, boos and jeers. And I was just wondering what the hell Nuno's thinking during this time. I mean, he's spoken a lot about the importance of continuing to do this when fans return and what an important um, thing it is for him to do. And someone like Adama Traore, you know, he's taking the knee. He's been racially abused in his career and, he, and he's been booed for, for doing that. I just thought it was abhorrent. And I can't see that gesture being allowed to continue next season because... If fans are just going to boo it, they're just going to have to stop it, aren't they? Which is so sad. And you know, you you know, you you forget about these things because there's been no fans in stadiums for 15 months. But here we are, back again, first time back, and uh, we're dealing with racist incidents. And the thing with Rio Ferdinand was just absolutely disgusting. And um, glad to see that Wolves moved moved quickly. They retweeted him to apologise and said this person does not represent our club or our supporters or our values. The the individual was arrested. Put a real dampener on uh, on the day for me and, and, and a lot of fans who are ashamed to be associated with these people. And just like when it happened at Millwall, some of their fans and now some Wolves fans are saying, oh, they're booing the political ideology of the Black Lives Matter movement. But the reason that people are taking a knee is not because of the name of a movement, it's because they're highlighting racism as an issue. And it's a really big issue for those people who've lived it and breathed it. And that's why it gets taken so seriously and I just can't imagine how Nuno felt he wasn't asked about it afterwards but I can't imagine I would imagine that he was absolutely mortified bearing in mind as you said he has spoken about it so yeah unsavoury incident and we'll see what the Premier League do next season with regards to taking a knee this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, let's bring in a couple of people now with plenty of Wolves knowledge. The former goalkeeper, Matt Murray, who's witnessed much of the Nuna Lucian and also has his ear to the ground in football. And Mikey Burrows, the Wolves club commentator. Hi, both of you. Hiya. Hello. So, Matt, first of all, what's your take on what's transpired in the last few days? Uh, I was surprised, to be honest. I think Nuno's done a fantastic job ever since he's come in. I felt this season, for many reasons, for a lot of clubs, hasn't hasn't quite worked out. And for Wolves, there's a lot of reasons why it hasn't been an amazing season. But if you still think of the journey where Wolves have been on, to know that they've been guaranteed survival for well, you know, games and games to spare. I think that shows you how far Nuno has taken the team because every time I used to be involved with a, a Premier League campaign at Wolves, it was about trying to stay up and that was it. So now the fact that he's obviously, he'd won the championship, two top seven, you know, top seven finishes, Europe, FA Cup semi-finals, an amazing job. And this season hadn't quite worked out. I thought there was going to be a lot of reflection this summer, but I thought, yes, he might have had to be creative in the window, but to see him go, the fact that he signed that three-year contract really, really surprised me. So yeah, it was a shock. Um, I'm glad, though, that it was announced before the last game of the season so that the fans could, uh, the few that were in there, could thank him. So, yeah, real, real surprise. And uh, never dull, is it, uh, at Wolves? <laughs> no, although it has been quite dull this season, apart from that. The <laughs> three were quite fun. But, no, Mikey, I mean, what, what's it been like from your perspective? You're obviously very close to the club. You work for them and you're in and around the players. I mean... Did you sense that sort of feeling of shock amongst everybody? I think so. I think everybody feels it because it's we've had such a period of stability after what was a kind of a decade of pure instability as far as Wolverhampton Wanderers was concerned. Even, you know, the year prior to Nuno joining, we had, what, two managers, caretaker manager in the, in the middle of that, so many players kind of coming and going and lots changing very quickly. And so the last couple of years, we got into a period of normality almost, which I think, you know, given the the breadth of Wolves years between all four of us, isn't kind of unusual, isn't it really, in a way? Absolutely, mate, completely agree. Um, Matt, in terms, of, in terms of the job Nuno's done, obviously his achievements speak for themselves. Finishing 13th this season and quite an underwhelming campaign, did, did you think that Wolves might look to make a, a change this summer? Or Obviously the timing shocked everyone on Friday, but the fact that he's left, is that a massive surprise to you? It is a surprise because, like I said before, he's done so many amazing things with Wolves. The fans, you know, I'm sure even if there had been fans in there, he wouldn't have been under pressure from them. Um, I think the reaction showed that against Manchester United, that they're, they're still with him. I think if he'd have started the season poorly, then maybe. I think if he hadn't been backed in the window and, and how that had worked in over the summer, then then maybe again you could have seen the, you know, and that might be a reason. Did did they have a little bit of a saying he needed this, they couldn't provide that. So what was the reasoning? So um, look, he lost Raul Jimenez. The brand of football hadn't been quite right. Um, you know, what we've been used to. I think he'd been trying to evolve, maybe play four at the back, try and take it to teams earlier. They, they'd been all the challenges that, Nuna hadn't quite been able to overcome, but he was backed last summer. A lot of money on Fabio Silva, a lot of money on Semedo. So it hadn't worked. So I can understand why there'd be a bit of pressure and, and the conversation would have happened. But I still feel with everything that had happened with COVID, all there's so many contributing factors. In my opinion, I thought he would have had enough credit in the bank, you know, with all the other achievements that had, had happened there. And I'd be very, pretty sure that the players would still be with him as well because even the ones that he didn't bring in, the few, the very few that he didn't bring in, he, he, he sort of transformed things to them. So the likes of Connor Cody would still have so much love for Nuno. So, uh, yeah, it was a difficult season. It still surprised me. It'd be hard to replace him because, for me, it seems like such a key influence of him and all his staff and all the changes he's made at the club. So I feel they need to make that appointment sooner rather than later. 
Mikey, you've been there every step of the way through this incredible journey. They were fifth in the Premier League and in the last 16 when fans were no longer allowed in. And then you'll have experienced since then what it's been like. I mean, did you get a sense that the pandemic took a real personal toll on Nuno? Yes, and I think it's taken a toll on on everybody connected within the football club. The, the key thing that strikes me about all this is that... And, and Tim's written a, a brilliant piece, not to blow smoke at him because he knows that I wouldn't do that if I didn't mean it. So true. But, yeah, exactly. It's almost impossible, Jackie, to truly kind of comprehend how how much it's impacted on Wolves. And I know it's impacted on lots of clubs and in lots of different ways, but Nuno's Wolves was built around two main factors to me, and that was precision and unity. Everybody knows about you know how they were drilled in training when he first arrived and, and how that all worked. But in the last 18 months, it's been impossible to be precise. You just can't do it. You don't know what players you've got available. You don't know what the situation is. You don't know when exactly you're going to be able to train. Nuno talks about, um, or talked about when he first arrived, he changed the canteen. And this seems like such a small thing, but it's endemic of what he did there because beforehand, players could go up for their lunch whenever they wanted. The, you know, the tables were laid out in random moments and in small groups. And so you ended up with small groups always sitting at the same table and, and not really interacting. One of the first things he did was produce these big, long tables. And every player had to be in that canteen by a certain time, whether they were going to eat immediately or not. No phones were allowed. The sizes of the tables were different. So you had to get together as different groups and we saw that in the way they played they were one complete unit and in the last year when players have been picking up food parcels to go home after training and not having that time together I think that's ended up playing a a real part in what we've seen develop since that period you talked about makes it even more interesting doesn't it fascinating yeah that's massive, Mikey, and I yeah, and I agree with that because I can remember the canteen how it was. He changed the chef and everything, but the canteen then got extended. And when you would go into the club to see the lads, yeah, there were certain times, but everybody, not only the players, the first team staff, everyone, and that unity was there. And you and you think of the amount of lads that have come over from abroad, that is really difficult. And people sometimes forget the human side. And just because you've earned earned loads and loads of money, if you can't go to each other's houses afterwards. I remember the table tennis down below and everything else when you'd go in and get a shirt signed. It was real. It was brilliant. And and you say that that room wasn't there either. When I used to change in that in that dressing room, there wasn't that little games room off the side. So all those bits. And when you're traveling and involved in so many games, that togetherness is massive. And for new players to settle in, it was really tough. They couldn't fly their families in. and And if you're not only adapting to a new way of life, on the pitch, but then also you haven't got the the, the family side off the pitch. It, it is really, really difficult. And that's why I think it, certain clubs like West Ham, like Aston Villa, clubs like that, that had a lot more players and recruited players that were more, you know, from the English, you know, from the championship and settled in England. Maybe they had uh, better seasons than, than what Wolves did. So I think that's a massive point, Mikey. So Matt, obviously we, we talk about the bond that Nuno's got with these players and the strength of feeling they have for each other and the fans. And we, we can also talk about the backroom team here. We know what an important part they play at Wolves and the recruitment job that needs doing this summer. How difficult is it going to be to, to get the right man in place and get this team playing at the start of the season? Yeah, I think it's going to be it's going to be difficult because of um, timing, you know, and who do they want? They're going to take a manager who's out of work. So they're going to look at Eddie Howe, Frank Lampard, somebody like that. Or do you go and approach somebody that's that's in work? I think Steven Gerrard, somebody like that would be a fantastic manager. Um, so it's, it's hard. Um, but I think you've got to make the decision. It's still a, an amazing club. You know, Wolves is a fantastic club. It's been on a great journey. Nuno's done brilliantly well. There's some top, top players there. But there's decisions that need to be made because you want to keep the likes of Neves, Traore. If you're going to keep them, you need to know who the manager is going to be in charge. You know, you talk, Tottenham are talking about it with Harry Kane and everything else. There's some fantastic players at Wolves. Then if you're going to recruit, and I think the pandemic's hit everyone, so it'll have hit folks. And so do they have to sell players to bring players in? So there's there's so many things. And if they are going to bring in another manager in again from the continent, they've got to move their family over. So it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't have a shortlist already because whatever the decision's been made, I can't believe that the people right at the top didn't know either Nuno was feeling a certain way or they thought that maybe it was time to to make a change. Um, and you always have to have succession planning, whether it's players, managers, because managers go one way or the other. They either go again 
because they're absolutely smashing it. And it could have been Tottenham or, you know, a top team in Europe that are thinking, yeah, I want to come and take Nuno. He only had two years left on his contract. Or it could have been the way where they're not happy and don't think it's working. And they decide that it's, it's time to make a change. So just like they do with players, with managers as well, the recruitment people will be looking at it. And I'm sure that they will make a fan, you know, a really, really good appointment. And how unsettling do you think it is for the players who are there now, knowing that the manager who's been playing them and in many cases signed them or in Cody's case transformed them has gone? I think for Cody, people like him, yeah, it would be unsettling. Even though they signed long contracts, he's going to want to go away in the Euros of England. What system will they play? Sometimes people question, does he have to play in the back three? This and that. Will a new manager want to come in? And when he's put his own stamp down, because let's be honest, since Nuno's come in, the turnover of staff of playing staff was was immense. Will George Mendes still have the link? So that might keep a bit more of a continuity. But uh, yeah, that that is unsettling. Definitely. Whenever a new manager comes in, there's certain players who know that they were playing near enough week in, week out. What will the new manager think of me? For other players who thought maybe they were going to leave and they were probably down the road of leaving and going to other clubs, does that mean a clean slate now? I can't move. Players that are out on loan, young players, you know, Ryan Giles, Rafa Mir, what's going to happen to them? Are they going to be recorded and have to do a pre-season or can they sort out a loan? So Scott Sellers, I'm sure, Jeff Shee, all of those guys are going to be having a lot of chats, talking about things, but it is unsettling. When a new manager, whenever a manager goes, it is unsettling, And but it is part and parcel of the game. And this has been the longest spell of stability, like Mikey said, for you know for a long, long time since I can remember at Wolves, probably since Mick McCarthy. This has been the longest spell of a manager. And he, he really, really had put such an imprint on the club. So, and, and it won't only, say, be the change of the manager, so much of the backroom staff, goalkeeper, coach, you know, where, where's Patricio going? Is he going to Rome? Roma? Is he not? I, I, honestly, I, I can see this being a, a huge summer for Wolves because the way Wolves have finished the second half of the season, they need to get it right because that was relegation form. This is supposed to be our last pod of the season, but I think we're only just getting started. <laughs> we've got so much to talk about. But Matty, I just wanted to, um, to get your thoughts. I mean, just say, for the sake of argument, I'm Jeff Shee and I want to speak to people that I respect and get their viewpoint. And just say he were to ring you up and to say, look, we're recruiting, we're trying to do this as quickly as possible. What is your opinion? Do we get a British-based manager who could hit the ground running in the Premier League a little bit more easily than, as you say, a foreign manager bringing family over from Portugal or Spain or Italy or wherever? Um, Or do we go with a Portuguese manager who could hit the ground running in terms of uh, the, the language situation with much of the squad could maybe settle a lot of them down and maybe who plays football in a similar kind of style to Nuno, but perhaps a little bit more progressive as well in terms of the goals output? Yeah, I think that has to be the thing. If Wolves going to go with the model now that whatever head coach comes in, they're going to keep keep, rec- uh, keep recruiting a profile of player. So you have to work with that player and coach that player. I think you've seen with Tuchel, play managers like that, that they they can coach wherever and they'll come. And because you come into such a big club with such, a, you know, the financial rewards, you know, Nuno would have made the big sacrifice and any other manager coming in will do that. They ac- accept that you totally immerse yourself in this. So I wouldn't be adverse to a, a continental mar- manager again because of the, the majority of the playing staff. I don't think the language situation will be a problem because so many of the boys speak such good English anyway, and that will be the, the common language that's used. And all the foreign managers now, they, they embarrass us guys, don't they? The way they can just flip from language to language. Um, but it's also, are they now going to look at a West Ham, look at a, a Villa and think, no, we're going to recruit a little bit more closer to home? Not necessarily English players, but players that are settled in England. So I think they need to really decide the direction they want to go in. And then I would look at those credentials, but I'd want to yeah, a decent name. So if I was going to say for a, for an English one, I'd look at Eddie Howe, Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard. Like I said, obviously getting Gerrard would be difficult because he's in a fantastic job already. But I certainly wouldn't rule out sitting down with Mr. Mendes, who has not done much wrong for Wolves at the moment, and say, look, what other players have you got from Europe? But I'd, I'd, I've sort of dodged the question a little bit. I just feel it's more about what they can do on the grass, but know that they're going to come over, totally immerse themselves, and then and be able to have that pull. So to get convince some of our players to stay and sell that vision, but also 
have a list of players that they know they can attract and and not moan with the situation. And they keep saying, you have to be creative in this window. There's going to be loans and things coming in and you have to sell and then buy and, and know some young players and work with the likes of Fabio Silva, Max Kilman, people like that. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm not, I'd like to see the short list. I'm sure it's getting narrowed down, but I, I'm not going to put my neck on the line and say exactly who I would like to see in the Wolves hot seat moving forward. Mikey, it's probably important to state, isn't it, how although Nuno's gone from the top of the tree here and and, and backroom team have gone with him, there there is a foundation in place here and I'm sure you'll have seen how much the club has expanded in in a lot of areas over the past uh, over the past 5 years. Yeah, the club is is almost unrecognizable from the one that I kind of first moved away from doing kind of what Jackie had done, although not clearly not on the same level, and then kind of actually started working directly for the football club. And, you know, we used to be in a situation where we would be just sat hanging around with the players in on old sofas in reception. And now, you know, that reception isn't there anymore because they completely expanded and they've got all the uh, up-to-date, uh, high-spec press room on the front and a brand new reception and as Matt mentioned there is a games room for the players and all the office space that's gone on there and everything in the club has grown and grown and grown and the one thing I guess I would mention on all of this is that I think given what so many Wolves fans have been through over the years there's almost an inherent nature to be worried and concerned And when you look at some of the players that we have, and I cover all the under-23s games, and I see the talent that's coming through, and we see the talent that we already have in the first-team squad, and we talk about people like Connor Cody that Matt was mentioning before. You know, people like him and Matt Doherty, they went through this four years ago, and most people probably presume that they would be on their way out that you know a new manager coming in with new ideas they wouldn't be able to do it and then you look at what they've achieved in that time frame and how they were completely transformed and that will provide opportunities for other players now who maybe we don't know yet are going to grow and become really important figures for whoever takes over and so personally I find a little you know it was sad the weekend of course it was and it was emotional but in the coming weeks and months, we'll start to get excited about where we're going to go to next. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us on the Molyneux View. Pleasure. Matt Murray and Mikey Burrows. Thank Have you. Have a great summer. It's the only time I ever get to speak to Mikey because he blanks me most of the time. So, uh, all right. Well, <laughs> Sorry, who's this? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Matt who? Who are you? Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become The Athletic's England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football Show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead to the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight Euros. Elsewhere, Michael Cox's Zonal Marking Pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games, while Adam Hurry's Football Cliché Show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines. So, as this never-ending domestic season finally draws to a close... We'll have plenty of Euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks' time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So Nuno's gone and the process is well underway to find his replacement. What is that process, please? Yeah, interesting to see how it unfolds, really. I mean, when Wolves have appointed managers under Fosun in the past, they've gone down different routes. I mean, uh, Walter Zenger was sort of an, uh, just a name, really, you know, dropped in by George Mendes. Um, when that didn't work out, they went for the British manager approach, domestic approach, and that was a proper um, recruitment application interview process where they sort of had a short list of five and interviewed them and whittled them down, you know, as normal and came up with Paul Lambert. And then obviously when Nuno came in, that was just that was a, a, again a Mendes a Mendes appointment a Mendes man. There was no um, op, no other option than Nuno. They just decided he was going to be their head coach. So how do they do it this time? You know, do they um, do they do a proper application process, or have they decided who they want already? From what I understand, um, it's it's going to be more of a formal. Um, they are going to invite applications and they are going to undertake interviews and there are a number of people they've identified that they want to speak to. Um, and technical director Scott Sellers, who's effectively Kevin Thelwell's replacement, albeit with a different job title, um, is going to be an integral part of that. And um, and yeah, we'll see what they come up with in the next kind of couple of weeks, really, I, I, would, I would expect. I don't think they want this to drag on. You know, as Matt Murray said earlier, they, they do need to be speedy with this appointment, albeit it's more important to get the right person. Um, but I've seen a few suggestions that, that Bruno Lars from Benfica is, is automatically the man and, and, and he was given the job, you know, a while ago. From what I understand, that's not the case. Um, I'm sure he'll be um, someone that's on there list he's a he's a Mendes client and uh, Mendes has been looking to get him to work since he was sacked or left rather Benfica um last year Doesn't I'm sure he'll much of a form... track record does he no just uh, one one unbelievable uh title win at Benfica and then it all kind of fell apart in that second season so um but he does have experience of English of working in English football he was Carlos Carvajal's assistant at uh Swansea and Sheffield Wednesday, sorry. So, um, yeah, the, the the online fan reaction to that has been, well, he's not qualified enough to do this job. So um, it'd be interesting to see if they do end up with him, then you can tell it's, it's a sort of a Mendes appointment. But um, I'd like to think that they're not just going to go for the best available Portuguese manager here and they're actually going to find the best man for the job. And we know what an attractive job it is. And we know there are some good managers on the on the domestic market. And yeah, from what from what I understand, they've had interest from big names who've expressed an interest. You know, in the in, at the time of speaking, forty eight seventy two hours since the announcement was made, they have had impressive expressions of interest from elsewhere. So, um, from what I understand, uh, there will be a, a proper interview process here, and uh, and that will take place um, very shortly. Yeah, because I've had texts from friends sort of saying. Um, Eddie Howe question mark and and things like that and Gerard and I just kind of laughed them off thinking well no because they're British they've got no chance but is, is that unfair do you think they are genuinely considering British appointments I um or I don't know specific I don't I don't know specifics in terms of um, nationality but I think if I was going to if I was going to predict what type of manager they want it would be someone who plays attractive attacking football you know just it's always the case when a manager leaves the club you tend to go in the opposite direction a little bit and I think that's something that they are looking for um you know they know that fans haven't enjoyed the last year and no one has really and um that'll be part of their thinking but you've got to look at what Foson's mentality is really and what their philosophy is and you know I see Rafa Benitez's name mentioned this morning that would kind of go against what Fosun stand for really you know in terms of looking at the long term it doesn't necessarily have to be a young manager but I think if you're looking to progress the club and blood through young young players you'd expect a, a, a younger manager who's going to be in it for the long term that's what I'd expect unless they have a change in, in, in their kind of approach and their kind of thinking for instance who they end up with and I just really hope that they're not 
narrowing their search by using Mendes, as has been the case in the past. From what I understand, you know, the, the, I think there is a desire to slightly move away from from relying just on him. You know, the, the, there have been issues with recruitment in terms of being over reliant on him, and of course Nuno so closely linked to him that it's become the Mendes show more this season really than, than previous couple of years and I think Kevin Thelwell's absence plays a lot a big part of that as well he, you know he was an important sounding board for Jeff Shee Scott Sellers is now that sounding board and he's got a huge job to do yeah um talking Mendes clients um Gennaro Gattuso has left Napoli and it's been reported in Italy that he's been offered by Mendes to Wolves. Uh, he has a, a Scottish wife, doesn't he, having played for Rangers before, but various names getting banded around. Uh, you mentioned Rafa Benitez. He has spoken about wanting to head back into Premier League football. He lives in Liverpool and uh, the M6 isn't great, but it's closer than a lot of managers are living at the moment. So that's one to watch, although his pragmatic, slightly defensive first style of play might be at odds with what Wolves are looking for after Nuno and after this season, we'll see. But Paolo Fonseca is an interesting one. 48 years of age, he's managed nine senior clubs and has been strongly linked with Wolves. He's managed Porto, Braga, Shakhtar and latterly Roma, who's just left after two years. He finished fifth there in the first season, reached the semis of the Europa League this season, losing to Man United, and they finished seventh this season. I spoke to... A good friend of mine, Dave Farrer, who's a top, top football commentator, specialises in Italian football and he commentates for BT Sports coverage. And he says Fonseca has always been a bit weak at Roma, not an easy job there, but always felt like they were flat track bullies and the stats backed it up. Great versus bottom half sides, he says. Consistent failures versus other big teams. I always questioned their spirit and soul under him and they seemed mentally weak time and time again against the big teams, which made me wonder whether he is. He had a good record at Shakhtar, though. To me, it's a bit like appointing AVB, Andre Villas-Boas, although a more placid, less ballsy AVP. Um, not a resounding endorsement from uh, Italian football expert Dave Farrer there, uh, but we shall see how things progress on that front. So Tim, we're clearly talking ahead of any managerial appointment, but I mean, what are your thoughts on how different this squad could potentially look come the start of next season? Well, uh, yeah, we've we've spoken about what a massive rebuilding job there was anyway this summer in terms of Decisions on current players, have they run their course? Have they, have they kind of come to the end of their cycle as well? Three, four years at Wolves, you know, the likes of Neves, then Donka, Bolly, Patricio, you know, the contract issues with, with Patricio, with Dharma Traore. Is Matinho going to hang around? Are they going to sign the lone players? Are they going to sign cover for Neto and Johnny? Because they're out injured at the start of next season. So huge questions um, to answer. And... Um, I just wonder how much work that they'll be doing on it now, you know, before a manager comes in or are they going to wait for him to come in and make all those decisions. But um, but either way, it's, 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 it certainly feels like the end of an era. Four incredible years. He took this club to heights I never, ever thought I would see again. You know, seventh place Premier League, that Europa League run, I'll never forget. A fantastic year following that club around Europe. And it all happened so quickly. It was in, it was a it was an incredible ride, and I said earlier he was difficult to deal with, but that doesn't detract at all from what an inspiring person he is. And uh, you know, I'm I'm gutted to see him go from from that point of view because just because of what he means to the city, really. And you walk around Chapel Ash, and you walk around the Six Centre, and you see his face plastered, and uh, and they sing his name in bar in in city centre bars, and they sing his name at the ground and they've named their dogs after him and you know he just he meant so much he had such an impact on the city that's why it means so much to everyone who sort of lived and breathed it and why it's so hard for people to say goodbye you know whether ultimately it, it turns out to be the right time or not it's a really important thing to do to stop and just say look look what this man did for this city end of an era exciting times ahead but what a ride it's been still can't quite believe that Nuno's gone. I'm still a little bit in shock. I still wake up in the morning thinking, Nuno's no longer the manager of Wolves. It's extraordinary. And I don't know what your highlight is, Tim, but have a think. Mine is absolutely those two penalties conceded and survived away at Cardiff in the Championship. I've never gone as nuts in my entire life at the end of that. And Middlesbrough as well, the Neil Warnock situation. 
both memories from the championship, but so, so many more. I mean, bringing Neves in, that goal against Derby, I mean, the Europa League run, where do you start? So many wonderful memories. And I'm not being funny, Tim, but you and I have supported Wolves for over 30 years and we have witnessed some dross when there's maybe two men and a dog in the press box and nobody, nobody gives a stuff about mid-table Wolves or in the championship and League One as well, situation there and... To think where he took Wolves from and how he made us feel about our club. And that's what it's all about. It's not all about league placings. It's how it makes you feel about your club. And those full houses and the fact they were never booed off. And the noise that was generated, the positivity around Molyneux and around the city. And everybody talking to you who support, to diff- who support different clubs. And, and all they want to talk to you about is your club because they're, they're the team of the moment. Yeah. So much to be grateful to Nuno for. It was the way he made people feel, I think, you know, a, a city or, or a town, as I always call it, because it's a town. It's not a city. You know, it's, 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 they're self-deprecating, they're used to that underdog role and he made them feel like winners and that, and that anything was possible. You know, we're not used to that around here. Dreaming was for free, as, as, as he so famously said. And the highlight for me is different. It would be the, it would be. I think most people would probably say the same. Actually, the the Man United quarter final in uh, two thousand and nineteen, which was you know Wolves just don't do that. Wolves Wolves don't beat Wolves don't beat Man United's strongest eleven in an FA Cup quarter final. Yeah, the 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 place the place shook that night, and it was emotional. It was, you know a lot of people say that they cried that night, and I, I was I was drawn to tears that night just by the emotion of it all of of Wolves being back where they belong as as we say and it was it was he who realized that dream so i think we'll all be forever grateful for for the journey he took us on well thanks to matty murray and to mikey burrows as well and to our producer steve ted hankey who's been a great help to us over the last couple of months or so we are having a break over the summer in theory although we may well resurface when a new manager is appointed whether that's next week next month we don't know but thank you so much to all of you for all your feedback throughout this whole season we've had plenty of twitter engagement with you even people who completely misunderstood a, a comment about ryan giles uh, never mind that um lots and lots of engagement so thank you for all that and do uh, keep us posted on what you're up to and your views on wolves at tim spears and at jackie oatley and we'll in turn keep you posted on when our next podcast is in the meantime do subscribe to the athletic to make sure you are fully in the know with regards to happenings at molyneux and at compton go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod for all the insight and do please rate and review our pod on your podcast platform that way we can help other listeners to find us and feel free to listen back to our previous episodes with a variety of special guests from the club from former players etc there's a lot for you to be getting with if you haven't heard them already have a great summer and we will see you very soon bye for now Athletic.